We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0 and is... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by BetOnline.ag and Ladder. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Uh, Rajon Rondo fractured his thumb, and he's going to be out for six to eight weeks, and that's going to significantly change the Lakers' prospects, right? He was the Lakers' backup point guard. They have already uh, lost Avery Bradley, who was their starting one. Now, being the point guard on the Lakers' can mean different things, right? Like he's a different style of point guard than Bradley is, but the Lakers are now pretty pretty short on guards. So Darius, just what what is your first reaction to the news of Rondo being out for six to eight weeks? I mean, honestly, I I think it's a problem. You you know, we haven't been the most complimentary of Rondo this season and at times that's been very much fair and I think at some points that's probably been a little bit unfair I I think we've been reasonable in terms of giving him praise when he deserved it and I think that we've been reasonable on the other side too Um, (laughs) that said losing another guard bad like Darius who's gonna dribble man who's gonna dribble on this look it's Rondo's role was not nothing, right? And we can talk about him being um, overall potentially a net negative, which I think is probably one of the more universal views amongst fans. I think if you ask the coaches and maybe players, they, they would probably push back against that. And I think that that's fair. But the Lakers are now down four to five shifts a game at the guard position with Rondo and Avery Bradley out. Then when you look at what goes into those shifts, it's tricky. Like Rondo was, um, if not necessarily a playmaker, he was an offensive initiator. He did that with LeBron on the floor, which I think had its benefits in, in, well, in terms of giving LeBron a little bit of rest within possessions. Um, he did it with LeBron out of the game, which I think was important just to sort of organize the offense. Um, 
he did it next to Alex Caruso and he worked off the ball some with Caruso. Like, even if you don't necessarily value Rondo's contributions overall or find ways to poke holes in in his game or even focus solely on the negatives that are just sort of built into his game now as, what, a 10 or 11 or 12-year vet or in however long he's been in the league. He was useful for this team, and I think it's uh, useful within it's the context gen- of he gener- filled a role. He was relied mm-hmm. upon. He, he – I don't know, man. Like He played. He played. I so mean. I look at this from – so I think it'll be good to talk – qualitatively in a second all right okay one of the ways i look at this is from a change management standpoint right and you and i have talked a great deal about how this nba bubble and like the restart and everything that's different about this is something that the team is going to have to manage right and Mm -hmm. one of the things that we talked about was going to be important for them was continuity and mm-hmm. and understanding each other's roles and bringing that that togetherness that they've had throughout the season to the bubble in Orlando as something that they could lean on as a foundation for their success right they've already chipped against that sum with Avery Bradley gone and mm-hmm. now they're losing another piece of that with Rajon Rondo. Now, when we get to the qualitative part, I think we can talk about overcoming that and how it could maybe even be a positive and where things could go in a different direction that could be like of real tangible benefit to the Lakers. But from a change management standpoint, this is something they're going to have to get over. And like how many how many things do you want to have to get over? in an environment that is already unfamiliar, in circumstances that are already unknown, and it's just another challenge. And, and I don't necessarily think that that's a positive at the beginning. It, it, I think it could end as a positive, but that's a different mm-hmm. thing, especially when you're talking about saying, oh, well, he'll be back in six to eight weeks. And when you listen to Frank Vogel, Vogel's quotes were very firm. We expect him back, really, for the stretch playoff run. Like, six to eight weeks from now is basically right around the time of the second round. And they expect to get him back and to reintegrate him, potentially, back into the lineup. And this is just a lot of things that are now in flux that need to be addressed. And I don't necessarily look at that as just saying, oh, well, let's just gloss over that. That's nothing because because sure. they're losing a player who a lot of people don't like at all and doesn't think is is a solid contributor. And well, well anyway, addition by subtraction. And I could go on and on and on, right? But, but it's a tricky thing to me. And I don't think we can just gloss over it. What do you think, though? There are two elements to it. I wouldn't be as concerned if we didn't also lose Bradley, right? Just, again, the ball handling. You've got three of the better ball pressure guys in the NBA on the team that we're hoping to play in the conference finals or have a good chance of playing in the conference finals. And Patrick Beverly and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, those dudes can heat up ball handlers. And I saw on opening night when we did not have Rondo the difficulties that we had with their guards jamming up our guards. That said, Rondo was not particularly good in the other two games against the Clippers. So, I mean, there's some degree of being able to get into your sets and and all that. That said, the Clippers do a lot of switching against us, too. And getting into sets, like anything that's being screened, is just going to be switched and it becomes this kind of matchup hunting isolation. So I do have concerns about the the workload that LeBron is going to have. In terms of handling the ball, he's not going to get those possessions of having them off. I would argue that Rondo's ability to take the ball out of LeBron's hands and the the reduced stress that comes from that is more important in the regular season than it is in the playoffs. Because I do want LeBron James handling the ball for 40 to 42 minutes in a playoff game. Now, those other six to eight minutes become different, right? And that's somewhere where they do lose continuity, like you said. The Lakers' second unit, the units without LeBron on the court, 
will have to play a different style than they have at any other point this season. Now, it's better for this to happen now than if they're if they've played a few games, they've got time to okay, how is is are we going to try to rely on Crusoe as a straight straight ahead point guard more? I think that would be a mistake. That that goes a little bit out of his, especially the higher you get into deeper into the playoffs you get. Um, that's not he's not a traditional point guard, Crusoe. All of that said, if there were two guards who got more minutes than I thought that they should get, they were Avery Bradley and Rajon Rondo, especially. Especially, we're about to <laughs> we're about to learn a lot about KCP and a lot about Alex Crusoe because those are our two remaining. Guard. Like Danny Green is a wing. Quinn Cook has some utility. We'll get into him in this in the next segment a bit. But we're down to those two guys as the rotational guards on the team. Now Dion Waiters. We'll get into him later as well. He's he brings a, an additional element. But those guys like Caruso in that uh, that Clippers game didn't play in the second half, right? Even though he'd played played well up to that point. So I think you mentioned having four or five shifts having to be accounted for. I think that some of that's covered with Caruso, but from there, I'm not sure. And I, I do think that just stylistically, we change on a fundamental level with Rondo out. Yeah, man. Like you're looking at 40 minutes a game, you know? So there's only what, 240 minutes in a basketball game. Right across all five positions, right? All five positions, 48 minutes apiece. That's like 240 minutes. Rondo and Bradley accounted for 40, basically, or so of those 240 minutes. That's not a small mm-hmm. thing to say, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, they'll just just play KCP and Caruso more. Well, KCP and Caruso were already playing. Right. And and so you're not going to say each of those guys is going to play 20 more minutes each in order to mm-hmm. get to those 40 minutes. Right. That would put Caruso somewhere in like the 38 to 40 minute range and KCP playing like 42 to 44 minutes. So that's not going to happen. Multiple players are need are going to need to fill in to these minutes. So let me backtrack then. What are the things that Rondo was bringing to the floor that you think were positives that are going to be like easiest to replace to hardest to to replace? I mean, it comes down to like how real is the whole playoff Rondo thing? Because there were a couple times. You remember the game against the Celtics? Yes. Both him and Kuz balled out. Yeah. And like. Do we get Rondo? Like, that's the nature of guys as they get older, right? A guy, like, guy like Rondo. This is the thing about, you know, Rondo and my feelings about him as a player. He was, that dude could hoop, man. Like, he was a guy that, like, he was one of my favorite guys in the league, right? And this is, this is part of why I've had strong feelings about him. Is not because I've just had this irrational, like, you know, irrationally despised Rajon Rondo, like, out of nowhere. Aside from him being a Celtic, you know, that probably, you know, probably deep down somewhere, you know, his history with the Celtic Celtics, I, I probably hold that against him on some level. But um, he was one of my favorite players in the league just because he was a point guard that wasn't particularly athletic from, like, a leaping ability. He couldn't shoot. He was just, like, kicking ass because he was really smart and really understood the game and he's got you know great wingspan but just super smart clever player that I you know I looked up to that I admired that and I just think at some point like guys get older or the game changes you know I think that's probably more than anything with Rondo is that the game over the course of Rondo's career has fundamentally changed right the guy that was killing teams in 2012 or you know there was a series against uh against Miami, I, th- I believe, right, where it was him versus LeBron. And Rondo was, like, the second-best dude on the floor in that series. And the game has changed so much from when he was doing that. I think, in some ways, he's a bit of a security blanket for the team. Now, we're about to find if nobody can dribble, then, like, that's a necessary security blanket, right? But I've always wanted to see, like, what would Alex Crusoe look like if he got 10 games of 25 to 28 minutes? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like... What what does that player look like? Maybe there's diminishing returns, right? Because he, you can go harder in 18 minutes than you can in 28 or 32, something like that. But I think 
we're going to be forced to play a lot of our best lineups, more more minutes, and I'm curious to see if is that something that it worked in certain number of minutes, but if we increase it, it won't have nearly the same effect. You know, beneficial uh, beneficial effect. We'll see, but I I mean in a lot of ways, like the guys that I've really wanted to play, like KCP and Cruz have been so good. In yeah, they need to play. Look, year. they need to play more. The thing is about the Lakers, man, and we've talked about this all year, and it's weird to sort of harp on where this team is weak or weaker than what you would expect from a team that's actually as good as they are, like a true championship-level mm-hmm. contender, right? And that's always sort of been the thing with this team, and we've talked about it for most of the year, like, we talked about it in the lead up to the trade deadline and in the aftermath of Bobo of the trade deadline and with the buyout market and, you know, when it was out there that the Lakers might get Darren Collison. And look, there, mm-hmm. like there's been a lot of storylines this year that that have sort of hit against the idea that the Lakers are not as strong in some very key areas. In my opinion, from watching tape, He's way better in scramble situations where somebody's making a mistake. I actually don't think he's been good at organizing our sets. And I think that's been part of the problem with those lineups is that we're we're really slow into getting into it. We're like, he'll reset with eight seconds left on the shot clock, 10 seconds left. And he's pointing, you know, coos, you go here. Like, well, we, we ain't got time for that. Right. And with the increased amount of switching, it kind of blows up the especially he's playing a lot of second unit minutes so a lot of second units will go small and when they go small they will switch you don't have a lot of Rudy Gobert's and the big lumbering guys on those second units so a lot of things that were true about him earlier in his career he does not impact the game on the same level that yeah. he did before no that's definitely true and it's why he's a backup now and not mm-hmm. a starter and probably from your and I's opinion, right? Like, or I won't speak for you. From my opinion, like a marginal backup, he he played more than what he should have this year. Mm-hmm. And I think that the point that you made a minute ago about like what would it look like if he just wasn't here, right? And and <laughs> well, that's one way. But yeah, well, but no, well, that's, I'm just that's saying like what would it right, look right. like if if that path was clear. For KCP mm-hmm. to get more minutes, for Alex Caruso mm-hmm. to get more minutes, and mm-hmm. we would get more definitive answers about what these guys were capable of doing in a larger role. And I think we're both hopeful and probably believe that if not to the same level that they perform in 20 minutes a night, they may not perform at that same level for 30 minutes a night, that there would mm-hmm. be some diminishing returns, but that the returns would still be high enough that, as you alluded to, that you'd get more of the Lakers' best lineups on the court for longer stretches, which in theory would only improve them as as a team. The tricky thing about Rondo is the reason why he played is because the coaches believed that some of the things that he's still good well, well good at were useful to this team. And not having those things now just means that other guys are going to need to do some of those useful things or they're going to need to change the way that they play. And if they're going to have to change the way that they play, great, let's change. Mm -hmm. But as someone who's experienced a bunch of change in my life, change is hard. And just acting like, oh, well, I'm going to do this now. Yeah, how many people do that in their own lives, right? Like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do something different from now moving forward and it's just going to mm-hmm. be like clockwork like we've been doing it's it the hard. whole time that it, it right. just does not happen that way and if i have some concern around losing rondo it's that where i have less concern is that there's not still talent on the floor that with smart coaching and with adaptability from the players that that remain, that this team can still be really freaking good and win an NBA championship, right? Rondo, having Rondo out isn't going to lose this team an NBA championship. That said, they they are going to need to adjust some things and and getting that right and doing it in sync and being able to call on it when it matters, that's a whole different deal. And and forgive me if I have some questions about how that's going to go. 
So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about those adjustments that uh, Darius is talking about that they need to make to get to really freaking good and win that uh, NBA title. So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Ladder. Ladder was founded by LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger to change the way that supplements are made. They worked with the top scientists to formulate a line of clean performance products. Unlike other supplements, every batch is tested by a third party to verify the highest standards for quality and safety. I just received my ladder package in the mail recently, and I tried out the strawberry lemonade pre-workout powder. I was impressed by how long it kept me up and alert without the crash at the end. I was able to stay alert through my workout and into my actual work. And that's ladder's goal, is to help you unlock your best in any situation. Right now, that means access to special offers and expert advice from their community. Use code LAKERS20 for 20% off your first order at ladder.sport. That's LAKERS20 for 20% off your first order at ladder.sport. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Get in on the action for this week's big UFC fight, or check out the odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has futures odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. So in the absence of those four or five shifts a game, let's get a little more into KCP and Caruso. I, I have this theory about role players in general, but this team in particular, I've come to really appreciate the construction of the team. And we talked about that a lot uh, throughout the year about how it really fits well together. And I think part of the reason is Vogel has a different type of player at every position. There's not a lot of duplication, right? So Avery Bradley is different stylistically than Quinn Cook, who's different stylistically than Rajon Rondo. Bradley's most similar to Caruso, but they have some differences to their game. To win a title, either you have to be really overwhelming at the things that you're great at, which Lakers can be, or you have to have a minimum baseline of skill sets while you have to have strengths regardless, right? But if you have to have a certain level of competency at a variety of different things, of which ball handling is one of them, that becomes one of my concerns now is that I th- I could I could easily see a series where like the Lakers don't have enough guys who can dribble. And even though the team's really good, the fact that they're missing this attribute to the degree that they're they're missing it, it's like taking out a, a pillar or some sort of something that's supporting a house, right? And everything comes crashing down because you've lost that support in this one area, right? And that's what I'm concerned about. So that brings me to Caruso and KCP. First off, Caruso, stylistically, can they go to him to be a point guard, in a playoff situation, or do you want those minutes, however many they are, to be like, do what you do, like, go set screens, you be a ball pressure guard, you are, you know, helping on the help side, getting us out in transition, Um, do you look to Caruso to, hey, we need you to run the offense and get us into some sets while LeBron's on the bench? I think that's going to be, I think the answer to that question is very much matchup dependent. Because that's where Caruso mm-hmm. is at in his career, right? Mm-hmm. If they're playing, say, the Denver Nuggets, mm-hmm. right? And he's going up against, you know, a Jamal Murray or a Monty Morris or one of just another one of their good but sort of nondescript defensive from a defensive standpoint, guards mm-hmm. who's not going to pressure you ninety four feet or mm-hmm. or be this major disruptor defensively, um, I think Caruso would be fine in those types mm-hmm. of lineups. Um, against even certain lineups against like the Rockets, for example, um, maybe not ones yeah. where Russell Westbrook is on the floor. Bro, he, can, he can't guard Westbrook. No, like. he can't guard Westbrook. But, and I honestly think... If Westbrook decided he was going to pressure the ball defensively, which Westbrook has not done a lot, but I think that he Mm -hmm. will do that for a handful of possessions a game. And if he decided, you know what, I'm mad 
Alex mm-hmm. Caruso this game. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to mm-hmm. get after Caruso. I think that he's the type of player who could sort of physically overwhelm him on both ends mm-hmm. of the floor, not just what Westbrook does offensively in terms of how he plays with force. I think that he could do the same or similar things defensively. And, and so mm-hmm. I don't think that Caruso is a legitimate 100% full-time answer at that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't. I agree. And I think the alternative to that is utilizing AD's ball handling. So his assists went up to career high last year in his last season with the Pelicans. And I was wondering, like, why is all of a sudden this jump for him, uh, you know, to a career high assist playing under the same coach? And like, what it, it was just, an, it was odd. So I, I watched all of his assists from, from last year. And it was because he was doing a lot of stuff at the top of the key. A lot of handoffs, a lot of you know delays and sets where he's getting touches on the elbow and up, up to the top of the key and kind of facilitating action. And if he doesn't like the handoff, he's going to fake that handoff, and then that's a great isolation op- isolation opportunity for him. And that's somewhere where he can really use that. And I, so I think the more you can keep, I, I didn't finish my thought about the theory earlier. Is is that like? Caruso is going to make sense against some teams, not against others. Quinn Cook is going to make sense against some teams and not others. KCP, and you you hit on that in in your point. That's that's true across. Like we've got two superstars, and the whole rest of the roster is like that. Where sometimes they're really going to fit in, sometimes not. Like Danny Green is probably the most translatable player outside of our superstars from one series to the next. Right in terms of what he does, will change the least. But everybody else is going to be really dependent upon that. And I think the more that you can keep guys in the roles, like doing what they're good at, the better it's going to be. Like, that doesn't mean Crusoe can never handle the ball or never run a set. And he showed, showed some improvements as the season was, you know, right before it was suspended as a ball screen type guard and doing a little better on that. I just don't know if he gets there by playoff time. No, and I don't expect him to. And when you talk, when you mentioned like diminishing returns with Caruso earlier, I know one way to guarantee diminishing returns. It's to say, go do stuff you're not good at. Yeah, go be a point guard. Right, like, like or yeah, just yeah, ball screen. Yeah, just guard, yeah. go play this style that we haven't asked you to play all season. And then mm-hmm. it's, and then we're going to expect you to be good at that because you know what really helps with that is four and a half months off. <laughs> Right, right, with no actual basketball, with no reps. And you didn't get to know beforehand, right? Like, it'd be one thing if they were like, you know, you're going to play a lot of point guard next year, right? Be like, okay, I'm going to spend a summer, spend the, the quarantine working on, on you know, my, my skills uh, as a point guard. And, which is not to say that Cruiser is not a point guard, but you know what I mean, right? Like yeah, a he's ball more screen. Of a, like, he's more of a combo guard, like, in the same yeah. way that... Look, man, like in the same way that you were talking about how Rondo's, the current iteration of Rondo's game or what Rondo was when he was super good, mm-hmm. how that de- necessarily does not translate to today's NBA as the game has changed around him, mm-hmm. right? Caruso, the things that he's good at as a point guard are not necessarily the things that you look for in a point guard today, It's why when very early on, like in that first summer league where Caruso played played well, we were basically calling him Lonzo Light because their Mm -hmm. games were very similar, similar. right? And Lonzo was the same way, man. Like he was not a ball screen point guard. He was a pass and cut point guard. He was someone who would make the right read. He would move off the ball well. He would set backside screens he'd then come off of a handoff and then make a read about whether or not to to drive or make the quick touch will will touch pass or boom the pocket passes right there and I'm hitting it like those are the things that Caruso can do but he's not a stand up at the top of the key 35 feet away from the basket just like Lonzo and, and right. yeah. waving a guy towards him and saying all right let's play two-man game to create something like that's not what he yeah. does and if you ask him to do that even for a six or eight minute shift 
the likelihood of that being a successful shift goes down dramatically. He is a good enough basketball player to still impact the game in other ways while he's on the floor. But if you ask him to do things that he is not accustomed to doing at a high level, you're not going to get a productive player. And that's true of any role player anywhere. It's why it's why role and fit and scheme are so important to role player success across the entire league, right? Mm-hmm. Like this isn't rocket science. We're not just making this this stuff up. And so when you're talking about this is a question that I've really wanted to ask you about missing Ron Rondo specifically. And and I think that we've spoken to it some this well this podcast, but you don't try to replace Rajon Rondo because there's no one on the there's no. no one on the team who replicates the things that Rondo does or the things that the Lakers actually asked Rondo to do. What you need to right. do is actually change, right? Did, so did you hear Frank Vogel's comments today about Rondo being being out? He mentioned mm-hmm. Anthony Davis, which I thought is prescient of you, right, to, to mm-hmm. sort of bring up AD as a playmaker. And the last guy he brought up was Dion Waiters, mm-hmm. right? So let's talk about Waiters before we even talk about KCP. So it all comes down to conditioning with him, man. More so than pretty much any other player, in my opinion, because he can get his own shot. He's a really good spot-up shooter. I think he's like 94th percentile as a spot-up shooter in the NBA and has, has been like in you know ranked high in that the last few years. Vogel basically said what I'm saying here, right? Is like conditioning might be a concern, but talent is not an issue with Deion Waiters. So I would argue that he's more capable than Caruso. Like if we need a guy who can handle the ball, mm-hmm. if we're getting ball pressured, I think Deion Waiters is the second best ball handler on the team now with AD probably third. And so if we need that, he's going to be able to do that. But can he give us eight minutes where he can be picked up by Pat Bev for 94 feet? and defend with the proper playoff amount of defensive intensity and energy, right? Like, can you give us two four-minute shifts where you just go hard for four minutes on both ends? Dion Waiters and J.R. Smith, we talked about those signings, and, and we've covered those as, like, these insurance policies. Well, now they're not insurance policies anymore. Those guys are going to play in the playoffs. How much that's going to be, we'll see, but they will be options of all of the different directions that Vogel can go in that those guys will be included in that. So I think if Waiters is in shape to be able to do all of that, he is the guy that's going to make sense on the court when it's hardest to score. Yeah. If we need another guy who can put the ball in the bucket, this is, I think, a side note here, uh, the Morris signing was really important from that respect too. He's got a little bit of isolation in his game. Yeah. And so now against those switching defenses where it becomes more one-on-one, like a, a couple more guys who can get their own bucket, I think in the style of the playoffs, that may even be better. It may be better than the style of play that Rondo plays, which is so predicated, in my opinion, on having scramble situations and open floor yeah. situations where you can exploit mistakes. You need guys who can score and produce offense when the defense isn't making a mistake. Yeah, man. And you still can score. Look, when you're talking about a switching defense, two of the biggest things you you need, right, is a guard who can beat a big off of the dribble or score in isolation, right? So either drive him off and then hit the pull-up pull jumper or just beat him to get to the basket to either create a scoring chance for himself or a kickout opportunity or a dump-off opportunity for a shot for a teammate, right? So you need mm-hmm. a guard who well, well, who can do that. And if you're switching big-small, then your big needs to be able to punish a guard by either being able to shoot over the top on like a pick-and-pop, right, mm-hmm. where... A contest from a smaller player does not bother him or he needs to have enough of a post-up game to sort of threaten the paint and and the rim to either score draw a foul or draw another defender in order to create the same sort of kick out opportunity for an open jumper right when you talk about waiters and morris both of them have the skill sets 
to be able to do both of those things within the context of their role, right? Morris can score in the post and he can shoot with a high release point to get over the top of like a 6'2 or 6'3 point guard type. Or he could score in the post against both, like against a guard like that. And Waiters can definitely create his shot against anyone in the league like I'm super not concerned about Waiter's ability to to get a shot off. And yeah. those are sort of playoff type shots, right? Yes. The, the question is is can they do that at an efficient enough level where the defense doesn't count those possessions as a win? They can do it at a more efficient level than Rajon Rondo could. Oh, for sure. And that's why in some ways this could be beneficial to the team. I think that that specific scenario, the increase in switching, is the reason why, right? Like it's there's so much about, like I said, with Rondo, where the game has changed so much that it's not, yeah, where the game went. It's not you know a blame on him. It's just the things that were working for him are not do not work in the same way as a function of switching, for example, and switching being one of several things. When you get that big little switch, and Rondo's got the ball at the top of the key. What are the moves at Rondo's disposal that he's proficient at in order to score in that situation? Next question. I can answer that with Deion Waiters. Yes. He's gonna, that's going to be a hard dribble pull-up, or he's going to get all the way to the rack and use his body. He hasn't finished particularly well in the last uh, year and a half or so. Waiters, oh, he's definitely so. shooting the pull-up, man. Like, yeah. And he's got enough in his tool toolkit from a footwork standpoint to shake a little bit and then probably step back to his left right off of Mm -hmm. a crossover or a pullback dribble in order to get back to his left to shoot that pull pull up jumper and he'll do that against probably any big in the league if the shot is not there the help has probably drifted just enough where he's gonna be able to make a perimeter swing around pass to move it on to to the next guy i'm super not concerned about the shot making aspect of this Mm -hmm. like or not necessarily shot making like the shot the individual shot creation aspect Mm -hmm. of not having rondo the part where i'm concerned if you could call call it a concern is that some of the players who Rondo played next to, Anthony Davis especially, and Kyle Kuzma especially, those guys are finishers, right? right? And I think some of our frustrations this year with Rondo were that he didn't necessarily hit Kuzma enough in in, in spaces where he could succeed. Um, I also think that he didn't necessarily hit AD enough in places where he could succeed but he did have a good chemistry with with those guys do you have any concern at all that by removing rondo from the equation that guys who need to be set up a little bit more in order to be successful you know ad can obviously create his own shot and he's an elite elite superstar so less to him but ad is obviously at his best when he's scoring assisted baskets and not necessarily creating his own shot and even superstars enjoy the game being made a little bit easier for them with a pinpoint pass or seeing when they streak open a little bit and kuzma needs that you know tenfold more times than anthony dave dave davis does do you worry at all that the finishers that are going to be around maybe a Dion Waiters or even an Alex Caruso, right? That those guys aren't necessarily going to eat as easily as they would with a pure sort of setup man that Rondo was trying to be still, even if he did not have his fastball in that area at this stage of his career. That's a great question. I think it the answers are situational. In the playoffs, you're going up against a set defense more often. Guys are making fewer de- mistakes. Like Defense is not... Like, how many shell drills have you run in your life, man? Like, it's not complicated. It is very hard, though, because you have to be... It's exhausting. Like, playing good defense, you have to be in really good shape, and you have to be focused. It's mentally and physically exhausting. That's right. And over the course of an 82-game season... There are a bunch of possessions in every single game where guys are just not mentally locked in. 
The playoffs are a different story. That is the fundamental difference between why playoff basketball is different than what it is in the regular season. Guys are focused and concentrating throughout their shifts. Guys still make mistakes, but there's a lot fewer of those. And those, you know, you get out in transition, someone, you know, does something on offense, there's a turnover or, you know, quick rebound. Say you get out and run in the regular season. That's when Rondo was at his best at setting up AD for those lobs in transition, finding Kuz as a cutter where, you know, they're, the defense is just getting back and trying to match up, right? And I think the reduction of those type of plays makes the setting up not as crucial. I think it, and the the amount of switching is so much more frequent than those types of plays that what you gain in Waiters, and also as Waiters is a spot-up shooter, whatever's lost in setting up those other guys, I, I think is gained there. That said, I think they need team passing like Morris is a pretty good passer for his position I think like the other guys like AD at the five I'd probably run those lineups when we've got AD at the five if you're going to have waiters in there because AD is a good passer four or five right he's a ball handler I think you need more of those attributes on the floor whereas maybe if Dwight's in the game that's a little bit harder and you compound the problem you're talking about so let me ask you a question another question so this is now Darius question time we were going to talk about Quinn Cook but I have a different name to throw out to you. What about Kyle Kuzma? Can Kuzma pick up any of the slack here as a ball handler, as someone who maybe runs some pick and roll every once in a while, as someone who makes an elbow catch and is maybe a decision maker within a horn set, is on the receiving end of of a nifty pass as a cutter, right? Or someone who is running like screen wing action off like off of the ball and and is making like pop or cut decisions off of screen actions that are on the wing like off of like wide pin down actions right mm-hmm. but what about him as if not necessarily an offensive initiator as someone who you just say like okay we just talked about Dion Waiters like will will like this how about Kyle Kuzma Kuz this plays on the point that I was making before those lineups where you do have Dwight in the game so so that's the thing if you we've got those lineups where we play Dwight and AD at the same time both of whom are those types of finishers obviously AD is a shot creator for himself more than he is for others I what I was saying earlier about putting him at the top of the key kind of puts him in these either you make this decision or that decision type thing. So he's not like making reads the way he would out of the post. He knows like, I'm either going to do this or that. Those are AD thrives best as a playmaker in those situations. But all in all, Dwight and AD together are finishers by nature, the nature of their game. Kyle Kuzma is a finisher by the nature of his game as well. But if you've got Kuzma out there with Dwight and AD, I think you get a little bit less out of Kuzma. Because, like, there's it's like too many finishers, if that makes sense. That said, Kuz and Dwight had a little thing going as pick and roll partners. Sorry, I'm talking through like the the pros and cons of it. Gotcha. Right? Is on one hand, I think if you've got AD, Dwight, and Kuz, you may have some problems. But if you're playing Kuz more in a guard role, they've done this a couple of times where there's like he's really good at making that ball screen read and he's good on those floaters. So think about the attributes of each player's game. If you put Kuz and Dwight in ball screens, they're probably going to be in a drop coverage. If they switch, you've got some... I'm Like I'm working on this uh, Dwight Howard offensive rebounding video. He just... He punishes dudes on the board. And like little guys that switch onto him, he just tosses them off to the side. It's it's freaking awesome. Um you could you run into problems switch, switching that. Also, Kuz's abilities as a scorer can complicate that. So you're probably in a drop coverage rather than switching. And Kuz is good on those little floaters and runners. And if you commit a little too hard for that, you've got Dwight on the roll and on the lob. I have not seen Kuz made that, make that skip pass read on that. But his ability to score proficiently on floaters and runners can make that a two... Like, you know how in baseball, some guys are two-pitch pitchers, but the two pitches are so freaking good that they only need two pitches? I think that that's probably an exaggeration of what this would be, but if you can hit those runners and floaters and pull-ups and make that lob pass, you don't really need to make the skip pass as much. So 
that is a big pro for like if you're going to have Kuz absorb some ball ball handling responsibilities, it's going to be specifically in Dwight Howard pick and rolls in my book. I'd look to other guys in other situations. Would you broaden that responsibility beyond just that? I'm not sure. I think that you make a compelling case as to like finding. So lineup construction is is always a thing where I feel like you want to try to find two or three man com combinations where you can find something that works between two or three players and then mm -hmm. build out around that. Because if you have something there that works, that can be the foundation of a successful group, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially offensively. So I'm not saying that you build a second unit lineup around, you know, a Dwight and Kuz pick and roll. But if that's something that is there that works for the Lakers in the absence of Rajon Rondo, then sure. Why mm -hmm. not? Right. Why not run some some of that? I just think that in the end, you're going to need a productive Kuzma in order to win at the highest level. And Kuzma has shown throughout his Lakers career, as brief as, it, as brief as it's been, that he's at his best when he's more engaged. Mm -hmm. um, I think having Rondo out might give him an opportunity to get a few more touches that are meaningful. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, oh, the ball swung to me, but maybe the pos early on in the possession, he's handling the ball. Yeah. Um, with the prospect of giving it up, maybe to potentially get it back, right? You know what? Like, like the more you talk about this, the more I realize like whether or not he can do this is important. Like he's he's a guy that makes sense. I he I didn't think of him initially, but he can score and get his own in a way where like like we're asking Dion Waiters to come in having not ever played a game with us and like give us rotational playoff minutes. That's hard, right? You're asking more than like Kuzma, hey, you got some you had some eight assist games, a ten assist game, right? Like you got some ability in these guard ish type situations. It's time for you to step up as as a scorer and as a playmaker. Well I'm also thinking too, man, from like the standpoint of both sides of the ball. And where is mm -hmm. Kyle Kuzma best as a defensive player, right? Mm -hmm. So it, over that last 15 games or so before the league got shut down, Kuz, Kuzma was playing some of his best defense, and it was almost all perimeter-oriented, mm -hmm. right? Like he wasn't playing backline defense. He was out there chasing off of screens and, and trying to defend in, in isolation. He had a couple of really big defensive possessions against Chris Middleton in mm -hmm. that Bucks game, mm -hmm. right? Had some nice uh, possessions against Tatum as well. Yeah. Yes. I just feel like if you're going to ask him as well to maybe, if, if he's going to potentially be out there defensively to defend wings, right, then that means offensively, he may need to play some of that wing role himself sure. too, right? And not just as a spot-up shooter that's standing in the corner, right? But someone who does initiate off of a ball screen. Well, that's that's also that's going to be more possible in the absence of Rondo, because yeah. like how many seconds per possession would Rondo have the ball in his hands on average? That was more than most, and that's going to need to be distributed amongst other players, none of whom dominate the ball to the degree that Rondo did. And so that becomes more possible with Rondo out. Like it almost like if you're looking for the replacement, Rondo's absence is is the only reason that would work. Like I don't think Kuz would be able to explore that part of his game and, and get better and, and apply that if Rondo was playing. So let's just say that Rondo is in a game for thirty offensive possessions, right? Which if he plays 20 to 25 min minutes a night, it would probably be in that 25 to 30 offensive possessions range. And let's just say Rondo's the active initiator for 20 to 25 offensive possessions a game. Those have to go somewhere. So let's just say you're going to give seven or eight of those back to LeBron, right? Mm -hmm. And so, okay, so now we've got 12, mm -hmm. right? Or 13 or 14. Okay, Dion Waiters, you're going to get six of those, mm -hmm. right? So now we've got eight more of these. Caruso, you get five of those, mm -hmm. right? And, and so you, and who's going to get the rest of them? 
Is it going to mm-hmm. be Anthony Davis? It might be Anthony Davis. It might be some Kyle Kuzma. These numbers may all get skewed some, but my point is is that you're probably going to have to look to three or four or five different players to sort of pick up the slack and I'm mm-hmm. using quotation marks there, of not having Rondo in the game. We already know that Danny Green is not going to be one one of those guys. Right. That right. KCP is not going to be one one of those guys. That Morris is not going to be one of those well, guys. Hold up, but that's the thing is that I think he's part of the distribution. Do you remember how well he threw those entry passes into the post? Yeah. That's the thing is that like we th- we need to think of it more granularly than is this guy a good passer or is this guy a bad passer? Is like how is this guy a good passer when he, like is Kuzma, a good pass overall, not really. But if you put him in a ball screen situation with a lob threat, then, hey, all of a sudden, like, he's throwing some dimes, right? Like, some guys are good at certain passes. They make certain reads. Morris is a guy who I, I really like. Uh, sorry, I just wanted to push back on that because from watching him on tape, I'm like, oh, this guy moves the ball a little bit, right? And he's got an he understanding can swing, on how it's swing. supposed to. He can play mm-hmm. high, low, right? right. And, and, and so what I think that, we need to get back to the idea of where the Lakers need to change and how they need to change mm-hmm. in order to optimize new lineups that do not include Rajon Rondo. I think in some of these, they'll be fine because they've had plenty of opportunities this year where Rondo's not played. He's been hurt. He's missed games. He's, he's had games where he's played one shift and it was like a six-minute shift and he played poorly, so they went away from him in the second half, right? But now they're going to have to plan for potentially eight weeks without him and redistributing things or or reworking things, repositioning players within the same sets that you've been running in order to play to some of their strengths so that you don't miss a beat and you're putting your players in position to to succeed while covering up for now not having a rotation player there to do certain things like that's a job of the coaches and and they're going to have to look at this roster and make some tweaks and find some guys who can fill in some holes in order to make this work. So this is what I think the the path to getting this done is. These are the non-LeBron lineups that I think will work best. There will be some exceptions and it'll be matchup based, but I think guys who can get their own shot so Dion Waiters becomes important, Morris becomes important, Kuzma becomes important in these non-LeBron lineups. Because if teams switch, that you've got some ability to exploit that. And then the the answer is almost in the question where you've got this ball-dominant guy and now you have to change the nature away from ball dominance because LeBron is ball-dominant and having Rondo had that continuity, like you play the same way for 48 minutes, right? And I think that now you don't play the same way for 48 minutes. I think because that's where the talent is leading you. Like the answers are in these little situational places where like, is Morris a great passer of all? Eh, but he makes a really good high-low pass. Well, let's put Morris and Dwight in some high-low action where Dwight's like, like, what is Dwight good at? He's freaking physical as hell, right? So he's burying a guy, sealing him deep. Morris on the high-low up top. Dwight sealing a guy deep down low for, for that pass. Those That's playing into two players' strengths, right? Kuzma in ball screens with, with Dwight. Caruso setting screens and uh, being able to, you know, to slip those. And if, if they're look, but if they're looking to switch, then you've got guys who can get their own shot. Waiters, Kuz, Morris. Those three guys in particular are probably the best. You, you could even throw J.R. Smith into there, right? Of like getting a bucket out of a stagnant possession and now we got to go one-on-one. A lot of playoff basketball is one-on-one basketball. So I think that running sets for those guys can cover any lack of ball movement. We need to run more set plays. I think in the absence of Rondo is you will get more ball movement as a function of just running the play rather than relying on an individual talent who may be more geared towards scoring like Deion Waiters run plays for those guys, those non LeBron units and either 
the the play will help create open opportunities where it's an easy, like I was saying with AD earlier, I either make this play or that play on the pass because that's how the play goes. Or if they switch it, if when teams switch, your set plays don't work anymore. Like you've got yeah. some switching set plays, but it really reduces your playbook. So if they switch, now you've got guys who can individually exploit that. Oh, like Deion Waiters got a big on him. Markeith Morris has got a point guard switched onto him in the post. He's going to, you know, shoot a little face-up 12-footer that he's really good at. So I think that is how you kind of thread that needle. You know, in some ways, I'm excited just to sort of see what defenses or how defenses react to potential lineups that might look like Dion Waiters, Alex Caruso, or KCP, Kyle Kuzma, Morris, and Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. Or instead of Morris, Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis, right? I fully expect Frank Vogel to continue to stagger AD and LeBron. So pretty much one is on the floor all of the time. And we saw how Rondo's negative impact in terms of spacing could sort of gum up things offensively for Anthony Davis, for Kyle Kuzma. And I'll be very interested to see how defenses react now to having to defend more of the court within longer stretches of any given possession and what that could mean for Anthony Davis specifically and what types of sets even some of the simple sets that the Lakers already run with their horns and horns handoff series that lead to pin downs like on the weak side and and what that could look like when Rondo's not in the game potentially right and Mm -hmm. we spent a lot of this podcast talking offense um, in terms of where Rondo where his absence and his impact might be felt most but I'll also be very interested to see like look if Caruso and KCP and potentially even Dion Waiters are in the game defensively what that could mean for the Lakers in terms of just having more size and more physicality and more defensive of ability mm-hmm. out there and what that could mean over the course of of a game as well right like I know I started out the podcast as someone who was talking about like where my misgivings were with Rondo out and and, and why I think that it's it's not a, a it's not a small thing to overcome but I'll probably end end this pod talking about the prospects of things really being a positive for this team if they can pull it together and start to click because there's still a fair amount of talent on what well, on on this roster to work with and like i said you've got lebron and ad there as well, well, as the anchors and uh, and some good players who who should be able to work off of those guys well on on both sides of the floor yeah i i think all in all the lakers are going to have to rely on these different options that i've been wanting to see, quite frankly, for a while. I would like to see, uh, I think there's some untapped talent in different guys that we weren't able to see as much. Um, I think there's opportunity in here. Uh, That said, Rondo is one of those role players on this team where if we need to be able to dribble the basketball, he's our second best option on the roster. And when it comes to a Clippers series or a series against even Milwaukee, we may at some point have parts of the game where we need a guy who can dribble the basketball and not lose it, not be pressured, not be turned three times before he gets to half court, can you know take advantage of that ball pressure. And he may very well be a part of the story. Like we, we can't just talk in our own, you know, heads about like, oh, it, it's gonna be this and that. We heard Frank Vogel say, like, we expect him to be a big part of this. And I think we should take Vogel at his word. And I think that that may come into play in certain situations at the highest level of this season. So a lot more to talk about. It's exciting to get back into talking basketball. But yeah, that'll do it for this one. You've been listening to Laker Film and Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. 
There's Magic, got it. Magic fires, it's in, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Campbell in and out, the ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left, here's Van Exel. This is for the win, he got it! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one, listen! Bryant! Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.